This is the Golf Life Faith Podcast brought to you by College Golf Fellowship. I'm Toby Ragland, one of your hosts. Another host is Jace Barber, and we are CGF staff members full-time. We love serving the world of college golf, and this podcast is going to be conversations uh, with our PGA Tour partners, with CGF and other partners in the world of golf, and we hope you learn a lot. Uh, We certainly will along the way. Hope you join us for the journey and learn all areas, golf, life, and faith. Welcome to the Golf Life Faith Podcast. My name is Toby Raglan, and we have a special guest today. It's our first PGA Tour caddy and legend, Paul Tesori, currently mm-hmm. caddying for Cameron Young. And we also have the president of College Golf Fellowship with us, Brad Payne. Uh, I've known Paul since I was about 15 years old, playing golf at the Palencia Club in St. Augustine. And I was As I was trying to learn to get better, I tried to be with Paul and ask him as many questions as possible. Uh, It was it's been fun to see Paul uh, advance on his journey to where he is today. Um, Also hosting a caddy retreat uh, with Mm. College Golf Fellowship this past December. And we're just going to hear from him, hear some good stories. um, And we have a good time together uh, as we record. And a little bit of context, it is Friday morning, 8.45 a.m. here on the East Coast as the Ryder Cup is going on. So if Ryder Cup information comes on, uh, that's where we're at um, in the recording. Also, have to mention, Paul was a guest on the podcast Better Than I Found It, uh, which is hosted by Coach Mike McGraw of Baylor University. Um, And highly encourage you to go listen to that. And today, I'm going to kick us off by handing the microphone, in a sense, to Mr. Brad Payne. Brad, how you doing? Doing good. Thanks for having me. Polly, thank you, buddy. Uh, so yeah. I've known Polly for a long time. We're about the same age. He played at the University of Florida. Go Gators. And uh, we have... Um, as you know, he has transitioned from Webb Simpson... Uh, Webb is one of my dearest friends and one of Polly's best buddies as well. And that was a difficult situation, uh, a lot of tears, um, but uh, it was a good and right thing to do in that season. Um, And we walked, gosh, hundreds of hours uh, walking and enjoying and laughing and crying. Um, But then he transitioned to Cameron Young. And just this one moment we'll kind of kick off with, because we just love telling stories, is at the Players' Championship, which is your second home, uh, TPC Sawgrass, uh, I was I was on 15, um, and I looked at Polly, and he was walking with Cameron Young, um, Webb Simpson he was catting for at the time, and I think uh, Strillman. Was that right, yeah. Kevin Strillman? Yeah, that's right. And the Golf Channel, Golf Channel was doing something where they walk and talk and interview you and so forth, and <laughs> I was going to say hello to them, and, and but I was my intention was to go and talk to Russell. And so kind of set this up, uh, Webb hits the best shot of his life uh, out in the middle of the fairway. And then Cameron hits just a normal, nice little small uh, draw over the trees. And you start there and I'll finish. Yeah. So first of all, Toby, thanks for the introduction. Um, Toby was the most mature 15-year-old I'd ever seen. He was already making world-class yardage books at 15. And anybody that knows ah. Toby probably won't surprise him that much that that was the case. So. I didn't really uh, – he was one of those guys. I've definitely helped tour players more than I could help Toby at 15, uh, no doubt about it. And, Brad, love you, buddy. Thanks for having me on. Uh, 
anytime I get a chance to talk with you guys, I'm going to take advantage of it. But now let's rewind a little bit to March uh, Players' Championship 2023. I'm working for Weber. Um, and I had already known from the night before, John Wood had texted me and said, hey, can we do a live walk with the 16th hole? We're just going to do walking with the pro. It's live. We're just putting your stuff on. We're going to talk about the 16th hole. We're going to talk about you guys winning here, blah, 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 all that other kind of stuff. So they get all the stuff on us, and all the boys hit their drives, and we're commentating as they hit it. You know, Cam hits a big high bomb. I thought it was too far left for sure, but we're going down, and Wes kind of describing the hole and talking about 2018 when we had won, and that was kind of like the nail in the coffin when we had birdied there in 18, and he was talking about how that felt. And the tee shot, we get up there, and Webb goes – Webb stops at – actually ended up being Russell Henley's ball. And I said, buddy, that's not us. We're over this little mound about, you know, 30 yards ahead. He goes, whoa, I don't think I've ever been there before. It was downwind and we get up there and he's like, this is amazing. He goes, I really don't think I've ever been farther than this. He goes, what do we have front? I said, we have 175. He goes, well, this is great. And I go, hey, bud, I want you to take a little look just a little ways up there, about 50 yards and to the left. And he goes, whose ball is that? And we both turn around. And there's Cameron Young, all 25 years old, with the man beard looking like he's 35, mm -hmm. with this grin that we probably all learn as boys by the time we're nine years old. Um, and we've done something <laughs> that we're at least proud of. It's that childish, boyish, devilish, sinful grin of like, yep, that's pretty fun in the boys. And long story short, I think he had 128 front and hit a little nice 52 degree in there. Um, to kind of kickstart our little live from, and all of that made it on the telecast later that day. And so I'm walking to this situation, and I look at Kevin Strillman, who he's playing with, and he he's like in the dugout, and then you have Cameron Young, who's probably somewhere in the third deck of the center field. There was a 90-yard <laughs> gap, and I looked at Kevin, and Kevin just kind of shook his head. So they proceed to move on. And Russell Henley is playing by himself with all of his friends. And he <laughs> kind of flares it to the right side of the fairway, uh, but he's kind of blocked. Maybe he was a little bit in the rough and he has to lay up. And so he lays up. And as I'm walking with him, he's about 10 yards in front of this one divot. And, <laughs> and I said, do you see that divot right there? And he goes, yeah, that's kind of weird. And I go, yeah, that was Cameron's from the group ahead of you. He goes, what? what is that? And I go, well, it's a wedge. And that was his drive. And he said, he was, yeah. Because I did not need to hear that. And I, I don't think I can compete out here anymore. Oh. Um, so his layup was 10 yards ahead of K Cameron's actual drive. So that is a true story. I'm saying bye to my boy going to school. Real quick. Bye. I say, I love you. All so, right, uh, so you have a boy named Isaiah, which we'll talk about here in a little bit. But, yes. you know, your, your, your great playing careers, you know, began at Florida and then you moved on <laughs> to the PGA Tour and you just kind of missed a few cuts, which played you into this glorious profession you've had uh, for the, what, what has it been, 25 years now? 25 years, yes. Man, crazy. Uh, so really, yeah. why did you pick Caddian? And you can talk a little bit about well, your playing definitely, career. Well, definitely, yeah. So we'll rewind a little bit. Um Grew up, I was always a good player, never a great player. Um, really, almost kind of at any level. Um, didn't play any national tournaments. I was a good high school player. Won some local events, but nothing else. Didn't play in any AJGA events. Um, I was recruited to play junior college at Central Alabama Community College. 
um, played well, was ranked second in the country and had a bunch of offers coming out of college. And of course I grew up a Seminole fan. My dad graduated from there, uncles, aunts, everybody else. And so I was going to go to Florida state, but ended up going to Florida, a little recruiting visit over there with Chris Callis, Brian Gay, um, Kevin Hammer, a bunch of other boys over there that kind of ended up making me into a Gator. Uh, and so fast forward a little bit, we won the national championship in 93, um, 94 played. And then I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I, I didn't think I was good enough to play professional golf. Um, I was a three-time All-American, but even Coach Alexander always said that I got every ounce out of my ability that I could possibly get. And, of course, back then I kind of took that offensively. Now I look at it like, yeah, he was right. Uh, I didn't quite have the yeah. talent. But I went um, – I did an internship at a golf course just to kind of see what that was like, and I realized very quickly that 80 hours a week and $20,000 a year is not very good. So I'm going to start mm-hmm. practicing. Um, started practicing, got through Q school right away, and got my tour card. And at the time, it was the greatest thing I had ever done. I knew I wasn't ready for the PGA Tour. I kind of wanted to have, I believe it was Nike Tour back then. Now it's Corn Ferry Tour. I thought I needed to learn some things, but very quickly just got thrown into a completely different league. Um, all of a sudden, my hard work and my ability to kind of grind it out wasn't enough, and talent started taking over. Got in a car accident, injured a shoulder, ended up having surgery. And long story short, before I go into the caddying part, this is the part I love about our good friend Bubba Watson. Um, mm. Every time Webb would win a golf tournament or we'd do something well, we would get a text. And Bubba would say, way to go, boys. Proud of you guys. Polly. you're still 0 for 17. Um, <laughs> and what he's referring to is the fact that I played in 17 PGA Tour events and I've never made a cut. Always try to remind him I did play three Saturdays, two of them at Pebble with a three-round cut, and uh, mm-hmm. one of them because Hurricane Floyd came up to see the BC Open. But um, it was an area of my life I kind of used to look back on in embarrassment, didn't like talking about it, um, was hiding from it. And mm-hmm. then eventually you realize, you know what, it's just part of my story, and so let's yeah. just talk about it. But the caddying part started in 2000. I just went through. This is the end of my – I just finished my 24th season, so I was uh, a year ahead of you, Brad. But I started in 2000, and VJ Singh and I had become good friends. We practiced together all the time. And in August of 2000, he called and just said, hey, I've got my caddy taking a couple of weeks off. I don't want to be – I don't want to offend you, but I was wondering if you'd like to come out and caddy. I was thinking maybe having a player on the bag would help me. But struggling, mm. missing some cuts. I want to catch, you know, the man. I want to catch Tiger. Thought of my work first week for him in Flint, Michigan. He hired me after the first week as his full-time swing coach. That lasted one week. And that next week, we got paired with Jack Nicholas and his last PGA, which is at Bahala, and Tiger Woods. So the group was Jack, Tiger trying to go for three in a row, and then Beach. And um, he hired me at the end of the week to be his caddy. And so that's kind of the way, where it started. Um, I fell in love with it, to be honest with you, very quickly. I realized the process that I liked as a player, but wasn't good enough to always execute. I liked as a caddy because I could try to help put together these plans and these processes and then let, I slept amazing, let them go handle all the nerves of the five footers and the drives with water down the left. And so very quickly, I realized it was something I liked. I didn't know it was going to be my career until a few years later when I went to work for Jerry Kelly. Now you mentioned the process. Give us a glimpse of what the process of a PGA Tour caddy is now. Um, yeah. Kind of just also how that you're serving the player. It's a life of service. Um, yes. And then also give us like a, a normal week, Monday through Sunday. Yeah. 
you know, it's it's interesting looking back now. Um, I can say, you know, it, it was pre-conversion for me during like <clears throat> the years 2000 through 2010. I was born in a Christian hold, thought I was a believer. Kind of as I looked back on my life as that's coming, we'll get into that maybe a little bit later. But as I was looking back, as I became 2008, 2009, 2010, realizing, wow, there's no fruit in my life. There is no evidence of the Holy Spirit anywhere. There is no evidence of a conversion. My life was kind of lived in this stressful, high anxiety, highly just, you know, success driven world. And we'll go back to that in a second. But the process that I learned, it was all through VJ. VJ kind of had an empty canvas with me. He made me into the caddy he had always wanted because I had never done it. My IQ was high. My work ethic was high. And then he kind of drove me into this. But at the end of our first year together, um, we had moved up in the world. We had gotten in the top 10. We had still not won. Uh, we had lost several pretty big leads. We had a seven-shot lead with 10 to play against Tiger at Sherwood and lost. Uh, we had a three-shot lead over Tom Pernice and lost. Two-shot lead over Jose Caceres, but we made fair. And so the end of 2001, we sat down over a really nice bottle of insignia. I remember that right now. So we sat down and we wrote down about a three-hour process and program into play. How are we going to catch Tiger? That was the whole mm -hmm. thing we did. And so we went kind of the seven areas of tools that we did. And that's basically, obviously, short game, putting, wedge game, iron play, driving, and then mental and physical. So mental and then, you know, taking care of your body. And we wrote down the areas that we had to go after. We came up with a game plan and we put it into play immediately in the winter of 01. And we started seeing fruit by the summer of 02. Um, he broke through and won, and then that led to another win, and then 17 wins over the next three seasons. Um, ended up overtaking number one in the world. And for me, it was kind of that validation that if you put a process into play that has mm -hmm. some wisdom behind it, something that has a background behind it, and obviously you have the wherewithal to, to pull that through, to put that through, to actually put it to work, you know, really good things can happen. I think that's why I've been able to have success with the guys I've gone to work for is just that avenue. I miss win all the time. I miss club all the time. I'll miss Reed Greens plenty of times. Um, I'll say the wrong thing at the wrong time still plenty of mm -hmm. time. But I think the ability to put together a process and a plan and then see it through is one of the biggest things. And obviously, we could pass that off into faith as well as you're talking about sanctification, what that looks like, you know, being able you to know. say, okay, hey, how are we going to go through this as we're going forward? But it's very similar in the professional world too. Yeah. I love how when you're talking about the process, it's so much more than just yardages, just saying the right thing at the right time. So yes. give us uh, if we talk about that overall process, you're putting in that process, putting it to work and, you know, it sounded like it took a while before you actually saw that fruit, but many days of work. Yeah. But then on a week to week basis, you show up on a Monday Mm -hmm. What do you do? Yeah. So, yeah, a typical week for me, I'll get there a day before my player. Uh, I even like saying a half a day. So, typically, Cameron Young, Webb Simpson, these guys that have been out there a little bit, they'll show up on Tuesday mid-morning. They'll fly out Tuesday morning from wherever they are. They'll come in. I try to get there Monday, you know, early afternoon, uh, get all my coursework done. Nowadays, that takes a lot less time than it used to. Back when Toby was creating his own yardage books from scratch and lasering and 
walking off heads, walking off greens. Um, it was a lot different scenario. But nowadays, I can pretty much do – if it's a course I've known and have done plenty of times, I can do a course in three and a half to four hours. If it's a course I haven't seen, it's about double, probably about seven to eight hours. But it's a lot less work. Um, our yardage books that we pay for week to week now, um, they now have pictures in it. They have graphics in it. They have carries. They have kind of all the little things that we need to have. And so when I'm walking off course now, it's all about the little things. Miss spots off tees, clubs off tee when we have wind switches. Miss spots around the greens kind of day by day. How are we going to attack the golf course? It's going to be different Thursday and Friday than it might be Saturday and Sunday. And so kind of trying to find those things. And then by the time Tuesday comes, it's time to get to work. Uh, this year was interesting for me. It's been a while. Um, obviously, you know, Weber's 15 years into his career now. Him and I were together 12 and a half. So there weren't many new courses. But for Cam, there was a lot of courses he had never seen. Or if he had, he had had someone before who was a buddy who just probably wasn't as versed and what he was trying to accomplish on the golf course. So we were seeing a lot of courses for the first time together. And there there were some budding heads because just because I see a course and I like the way I want to play it, he mm -hmm. might see it in a different way. And so learning how to communicate those things together, it took a little bit of time. It's still going to take a little bit of time because Cam mm -hmm. just completed his second full year. And oh. I, I think I mentioned this earlier, a little bit of miscommunication at times. It happened. I, the way you communicate with Webb, is not the way you're going to communicate with Cam. And so there was a little bit of that gray area. There were some missteps along the way, but we're figuring those out as we as we move along. Yeah, so Tuesdays, once we're done with all of the stuff, you know, all of the – this is where we're going, this is when we're going, this is when we're going that way. Tournament days are a lot simpler. Um, I wish they came a lot quicker. As I've gotten a lot older, you're kind of ready for Thursdays to come from the time you get there that, you know, it's let, let's get going, let's get a little adrenaline going and see what we've got. So Thursdays, the only couple things that change is we always set aside five to ten minutes every round to go over the win for the day and where the pin is that day. Um, I noticed back 2017, Weber and I were getting a lot of arguments on the golf course, and they were all from the fact that we hadn't gone over certain scenarios before we got on the course. So seventh hole, TPC, 2017, we're about ready to just both of us just walk away and let's not talk for a while. And I'm like, buddy, instead of arguing about this on the course, why don't we just go over it before we get out here? It's like, great idea. And now if you watch, um, I think another, I don't know, probably 50 to 70 teams are now using that. And I think within five or six years, probably every team will be doing the same thing. There's no reason not to do it. Um, so you skipped Wednesday. Wednesday is Pro-Am Day. Just one, <laughs> You've been doing this for 25 years. Just yeah. kind of. One story that sticks out because we just want to tell stories and <laughs> anyways, yeah. and then we'll move into a couple other things. Yeah. So I think this is where the caddy job, I think if you have a really good caddy, our job is kind of the same thing. And we were told this way, way, way back when this was Nick Price. He always said, listen, it's 18 holes. Now we have a lot of nine hole programs. So it actually helps us be a little more present a little bit more energetic, a little bit more kind of invested in the guys that we're playing with, but especially the 18 whole days, there's just no way to do it. It's long. It's over five hours. These four guys think that they're in their U.S. Open, and we just can't wait for the day to kind of finish. And so there's a fine line there because part of the experience is to be able to love on these guys, serve these guys. And so I take over a lot of that. Um, and I always tell – we've told – said this to Webb, said it to Cam, hey, Come on strong the first three holes, finish strong the last three holes. 
okay? And that's what they're going to remember. And I'll fill in all the other gaps. So I'll go over, read greens. I'll tell stories. I'll make fun of the boss. Those kind of things to make sure they're having a good day. Most men love to be given a hard time, love to be made fun of. It's just a weird thing that we all do to one another. It's kind of our love language. We know when we need to actually love on someone, but for the most part, yeah. men need to be knocked down. Pride is something we all struggle with. So that's the part they love. The most. When If you can give your player one like just great needle and let him needle the guys, they think he's the greatest human being ever. If you can just say yeah. hey, Hey, you know, this guy, look at those pansies when they're terrible. Let the other guys get in, let them annihilate, then it, it becomes a lot more fun. So Wednesdays now, as I've gotten older and obviously have now a believer, they're a lot better because it's just an opportunity to serve, an opportunity to mm -hmm. kind of share a little bit of the gospel without sharing the gospel. Just by the way you walk and talk and serve, um, all of those ways kind of just developing relationships are ways that you can kind of, you know, the, the second greatest commandment, so to say, is a love your neighbor as you love as you love yourself. And it's a way to do it in pro ams. It's hard sometimes, but these nine holers are making it a little better. You mentioned, um, you know, that 2000, 2010 being pre-conversion. And you yes. just mentioned Wednesday pro ams are even different now that you're a believer. Yeah. Tell us a story of that time where you feel like you were converted. You were made a new man um, yeah. and you saw the gospel for what it is. Yeah, we definitely don't have enough full time on the podcast. So I'm going to give the uh, cliff note version of that answer. But for me, it was 2010 when when everything changed for me. Um, I went through, I worked with VJ when he was number one in the world. Um, we had a lot of success together. I had made a lot of money. I had become known as one of the best caddies in the world, was sought after and all this other kind of stuff, which is kind of what we all want. Whatever we decide to do, if you're respected, known as one of the best, um, obviously it was, you know, we're on TV a lot. So those kind of things come about. And I thought that that part was going to fulfill them. And obviously it didn't. And mm -hmm. uh, the story's much, much deeper than I'm about to go into. But for me, it was 2010. Um, I was working for Sean O'Hare. We were top 30 in the world. And I was just, I was miserable. Um, I was miserable mm -hmm. when VJ was number one in the world. I was miserable when I went to work for Jerry. and We won tournaments and did the President's Cup teams together. And here I am again, and I would have these periods of feeling joy, but they all had the same thing. It was when I was diving into sin, moving from relationship to relationship uh, with women, moving from a job to another job. And for me in 2010, I was dating my now wife. We're actually engaged and we were falling apart. My job was Sean. I, I don't know. I just felt like there was no fruit there. I felt like there was nothing to really push me. Um, everything was kind of pointing for me. Like I was becoming depressed. I had gotten on antidepressant or depressed or wait, is that right? Antidepressant yeah. medicine. Yeah. Uh -huh. I was medicated. I was drinking too much. Um, just everything was there. And it was the summer of 2010. I'm like, I, I have to stop this. And I just took a hard look at my life. And I really thought at that moment that I was somebody who was a professing believer that wasn't, I had never read the Bible through and through. I didn't study the Bible. I had talked about Jesus. I had talked about who he was, but there was no fruit, literally no fruit. I was married before. I uh, wasn't a good husband. Um, I was a mediocre dad. And as I was coming there, I'm like, I'm done with all of this. So I turned to my now wife and I just said, hey, I'm going to turn my life over to Jesus. I'm doing it all. I'm doing it right now. I believe who he is. I believe what he's done for me. I'm going to do it. I got baptized. You don't have to be baptized to become a believer, but for me, it was all happening at the same time. It was my act mm -hmm. of faith. It was me saying, I trust you. And 
The amazing thing was, this was the summer of 2010. I thought what was supposed to happen was, man, we're going to start winning golf tournaments. We're going to move up in the world. I'm going to start making money. My relationship is going to skyrocket. All these things are going to happen. And fast forward six months later, December of 2010, I was fired for the only time in my life. Mm. A real estate and market crash had happened. I lost every dime I had ever made. I had made over $3 million this time, and every dime I had made was gone. Um, I was Creditors were knocking at the door every day to try to take my house from me, so I had no home. And me and my now wife had broken off our engagement. So I was relationshipless. I was jobless. I was moneyless. I was homeless. I get emotional right now even talking about it. But I remember thinking, why do I feel the way I felt? And I felt this peace i felt this calmness i felt this joy and we know you know it's it's the peace that surpasses all understanding and we know through, yeah. through prayer and supplication with thankfulness make our request known to god and we know that he promises that he's the prince of peace and that was when i knew that everything i had done before was wrong because i was on that diving board and i looked down and i could see it was the old diving board analogy. When you look down, you see your dad. You know that's your dad in the pool. You know it, but you haven't pursued. You haven't put your faith in your dad yet until you jump off that diving board. And so I knew there was Jesus. I knew he was real, but I hadn't put hmm. my faith in him. I wasn't living in him. Um, and it wasn't until I jumped off that diving board and put my faith into Jesus that he was exactly who he said he was. He is a perfect father. He's a perfect savior. And his promises are always held true. And he mm -hmm. promised peace that surpasses all understanding. And I got to feel it. And so that that month, I, I had to go to work. I was broke. And I had a couple of really, really good job opportunities. One guy that was top 10 in the world, another guy that was top 15 in the world. And I was just kind of him on slowing out. I didn't want to accept either job. One, the top 10 job I knew I couldn't accept because I felt like I was going to fall backwards and regress with this mm. player. The other guy, I thought we'd get along well, but I had worked for him one week and didn't think I could help him. And I like being part of that process that we talked about earlier. It's my favorite mm -hmm. part. During COVID, what I missed the most was the process, trying to get better, yeah. going through the ups and downs. So yeah. um, I was going to accept the job that afternoon. And in the middle of nowhere, a number called I didn't recognize. Um, let it go to voicemail. Listen to the voicemail. It was Webb Simpson calling and asking me if I needed a job. So I turned to my now wife, Michelle, and just said, hey, can you look up Webb? I knew who Webb was. I knew he was a believer. I didn't know what kind of golfer. And he had just kept his card in the last term of the year in 2010. It was 213th in the world. And I just looked at her and I'm going, babe, I don't think so. But I called him. And five minutes later, anybody that has the opportunity to engage with Webb for five minutes about yeah. any serious subject will know what I mean. I was in. And I was fully yeah. in. Um, and here we are over 13 years later. And the guy, one of my favorite things, and I know I'm talking a lot about the subject, but I wrote down these goals. And I'm not yeah. a big goal guy now, but, you know, Webb at the time, it had five top tens. He had made $1.8 million his first two years total. And so that year I wrote down $2 million in earnings, seven top, uh, yeah, seven top tens, 14 top 25s, second playoff event. And he made $9.3 million after the bonus. He won twice, had 12 top 10s, 22 top 25s. And it's the whole thing. You just don't put a limit. And at the end of that year, for me, 
the most incredible thing happened is I got looped into this orbit. And what I mean by orbit is if you have any friend, anybody that's listening, if you have people around you, number one, that are believers, because that's where my faith is. That's the way I run my life. But if you see people that are successful, if you're not a believer, successful, they'll have an orbit around them of really, really wise people. Well, as a believer, the people that Webb had circling his orbit, Brad Payne is one of them. Dave Owen is another one. These trainer are so many men. And every man I met were wise, were kind, were servant-hearted, were successful in whatever they were doing, were great husbands and great dads. And I got looped into that. And, mm-hmm. you know, here I am later. Um, I've got a nine-year-old boy. My daughter just went to college two weeks ago and she's a believer um she was baptized and she led a small group study and so even though she's going to florida state which is a big problem that i have currently right now that's all right. i'll have to learn to deal with that as we go there's a lot i was just there last weekend while they were playing clemson and i heard a lot of go knolls and chants and that other kind of stuff but besides that my daughter's conversion my son's soon conversion my marriage all of that is a result of the Lord leading me to that decision to go work. And on paper, my friends, everybody around me thought, what are you doing? Except for one person that was my wife. And she's like, no, we said we were going to follow where the Lord pushed us. And that's where he pushed us. So there we go. You know, we've mentioned Isaiah a little bit. I'd love for you to share a little bit about, you know, his, his birth. And then also how having Isaiah shapes you and Michelle's relationship and y'all's kind of day-to-day yeah Isaiah shapes a lot I, I still remember we'll go off because I do this golf a little tangent right now you can see why maybe me and Cam we haven't gelled as fast as possible I don't think Cam's used to someone talking this much in his life uh <laughs> versus Weber loved it um Cam is uh he might need a little <laughs> less poly a little less coffee in the morning but so like before I even go into that like for those of you that don't know the story, but my son, Isaiah, he's almost 10 years old now, be 10 in January, but was born with Down syndrome. Um, when Isaiah was born in 2014, we had no idea. There was no pre-diagnosis. So when Isaiah was born, they thought he was having seizures. Uh, they whisked him away in an ambulance, had us read. You know, they still do this in hospitals, like his last rites. We didn't let that happen, but we we brought Michelle in and she reached her little hands through the incubator and prayed over her. And we had everybody crying in the room. We didn't know if we'd ever see him again. Um, mm-hmm. and I had walked out. And, and again, at this time, I'm now a lot further down my walk, a lot more mature of a believer, but still when it came to heartache and struggle, I wasn't very versed in this yet. And I'd gone out in the waiting room after they whisked, uh, I say away to the um, Wilson's, uh, children's hospital and I walked in my dad and my best friend at the time just said hey how are you doing I'm like guys I'm struggling I'm just gonna open up the word of God and I was in John and I just happened to go to John 9 that's I had finished John 8 I was going to John 9 we were studying the book of John in church at the time and John 9 1 to 3 is that passage and it's the picture of you know the disciples walking with Jesus down the road and there's a blind man at the corner and the the disciples asked Jesus, you know, why is this man blind? Is because he has sinned, has his parents sinned? You know, why is he in this conditions? And I can just picture this now, but Jesus looking upon them and goes, No. So the works of my father can be displayed through him. And now that chapter goes into his actual conversion as well. But it, at, at the beginning there, it's about his physical ailment 
that this person had. And the display, what Jesus tried to push on was that the reason why he's blind is it's not because he's done anything wrong or there's anything wrong with him, different mm -hmm. challenges, but it's the works of my father can be displayed through him, through his, let's just say, difference. Mm -hmm. So here I have a boy now who has Down syndrome. We ended up finding that later on who has made a dramatic impact on this world that I can't put a picture on. He's been in Times Square. He's been on CNN, Fox News, all these other things that my boy's been able to do. Our foundation has exploded. Our ability to share the gospel, our ability just to give back to those who are less fortunate, all because of the face that he put on. And my last little part of this is 2018. We have a seven-shot lead in the Players' Championship. We hadn't won in five years. I'm feeling nervous. It's the one tournament I want to win the most in the world. And I thought about Isaiah many times that day because the way he looks at this world, mm -hmm. he's always said, look through the world like these little children and come to me. And like my son does that. He sees things in a different light. I get mad if somebody slowing me up in the left-hand lane or I get mad if I finish, if the ball finishes and I did it. I'm mad at Matthew Fitzpatrick right now for birdieing the last six holes in a row and there's six stuff on our boys. But my son looks at all of these things and he sees an opportunity to show joy, to show happiness, to show grace, to show mercy. And he does it naturally. And it's because of that extra chromosome. So um, there are struggles that go in there. We have many therapies every week. Schooling's hard. It's hard on his mom, these other things. But his struggles are no different. We have a tournament coming up that I call the 321 Classic to, to raise money. And we do it threesomes. You're only allowed 21 clubs. The three, two, one. Isaiah has trisomy 21 down syndrome. We do it to show, hey, you can still be successful, even though the tools that you have might not be the same tools as you're normally allowed. It's the same thing about Isaiah. He's, he's been a testament to that all along. And I really believe that he'll be in a place in a few years where he'll be able to make that decision himself when it comes to Jesus. And who is he? Um, and that's a decision we all need to make and all have to make at some point in our lives is who is Jesus to you? And I'm fortunate enough that I have a boy that I think will be able to make that decision one day. Mm. Thanks for sharing, buddy. Um, so <clears throat> what does it look like for you? Um, you know, you've been a believer since 2010. So you're, you're closing in on, you know, 13, 14 years and, and there's this great season, so you're just walking the Lord, and then there's kind of setbacks, and then you keep going. And just your your beautiful uh, perspective on just being very honest, um, which uh, has really endeared yourself to so many other caddies. And we talked a little bit about your heart for caddies and doing this re caddy retreat. But as you go about your week and go about your month and year out on tour, like what's your perspective on caring for the caddies that are left and right of you and how you can serve them? Yeah. I mean, you know, so many mistakes have been had in life and it doesn't matter. Obviously, if you've just become a believer or if you're a mature believer, who's much more down that sanctification trail as you're looking at it, there's just seasons. And I have messed up in plenty of these seasons as I still walk. It's a little bit used to look like a roller coaster, really, really deep. One of the big ones, one of the ones at Disney. We'll call it Tron. Now it's starting, <laughs> now it's starting to look a little bit more like just kind of like a, a nor'eastern coming in that we have right now down here in Florida. And eventually one day, hopefully it's going to look like a, a pond. Um, but, you know, there's still those seasons. And to be honest with you, for me, I've developed a lot of relationships because I've been at this a long time and 
have a certain respect level among my peers. I get a lot of phone calls every year from players and caddies just asking advice, whether it's relationship advice or golf course advice or how to go about certain things. But it wasn't until you guys, uh, CGF, Toby, Brad, Willie Kane, y'all came to me last year and said, hey, we have an idea. We want to do a caddy retreat. And I'm like, well, tell me a little bit about it. And, you know, the idea was, hey, um, we're going to pull our money together, which is 90% your money. I put together a little bit of the foundation. This is CGF's idea. And we just want to invite 36 caddies down. Let's love on them. Let's pay for a hotel room. Let's pay for golf at the stadium course and the valley course. And let's give a little scripture. Paul, I want you to share your testimony. Um, last year, Ben Crane and Joel Stock shared their testimony. Um, this year, hopefully, if it works out, we got Teddy Scott that'll come down and do it with me this year. But what happened? I just shared my life. And what's incredible is when you're in the middle of the jump, when you're in the middle mm -hmm. of the fire, when you're in the middle of the muck, it feels horrible. And a lot of times it's your sin that has produced this. A lot of times it's not, too. And those are things you can't. But a lot of times it's your muck that has brought this in there. And to be able to sit in front of these caddies last year that, you know, half have no affiliation with Jesus. I would probably say a quarter of the other half. So one, you know, one quarter of the group probably know who he is, would profess to be an unbeliever, but probably aren't walking with the Lord and the other quarter are. To be able to sit and tell them that you struggled with alcohol, that you struggled yeah. with, with, with pain pills, that mm. you struggled pre-conversion with adultery, that you struggled with lust. I still struggle with some of those things. Yeah. I just make different decisions now. Yeah. But there's the struggles are still something that you go through every day. And I think what's happened in the last year since the retreat, the retreat was in December of the last year, so not even a year yet. What's happened has been a massive growth in relationships for me with other caddies. Because we, yeah. we talk to other caddies, how you playing, what's your world ranking, what's, how are you all doing, what tournaments are you playing. But the depth yeah. isn't really there. But yeah. after the caddy retreat last year, I've had so many phone calls. I had one just this past week of a friend who's going through a divorce and he's all alone mm. and it's shocked to him. He had nobody to call and he called me and we mm. cried together. We laughed together. But then I shared with him that I almost was divorced five years. It was just five years ago because yeah. of sin that I was living in. She didn't know how to deal with it. I didn't know how to deal with it. But now I look and our marriage is the strongest that it's ever been. It's the healthiest it's ever been, but it's because of what we went through the junk that led us back to this area, all obviously for me with being Jesus at the center of it. And so, you know, the caddy retreat, I loved it. It was way better than I thought it could have been. I might have given the boys a little too big of an opportunity for some alcohol consumption, so we're going to work on that <laughs> this year. We're going to slow that down a little bit. Uh, the TPC day uh, yeah. of the 34 guys we had last year, I think only five had ever played the golf course. So that was wow. kind of fun. They were oh, celebrating. Wow. Uh, with some alcoholic beverages, we're going to get to that. But we did have um, we've had three guys that have now either turned their lives over to Jesus or have definitely reinvigorated their faith and are going to church yeah. even on the road. And so that's, awesome. that's what we're looking to do is just share our story, um, awesome. share what Jesus has done to us. And CGF has given us that ability um, to do that. And it's something that we don't take for granted. And Toby was able to somehow get Golf Genius working last year. So we had a good competition as well. Ah. Well, thank you, Polly. You're the man. Uh, I have great affection for you and just your heart for the caddies as well as players and just 
um, everyone around, even on Wednesdays, how you care for them is just uh, humbling, encouraging to me. And I appreciate how the Lord has done a mighty work in your life. And I just remember just, you know, as we kind of sat in the muck and mire, uh, just as I said to you, and it seems so stupid uh, probably to hear was you're just only a couple wise decisions from flourishing and you you took those steps and now you're flourishing and so it's it's not as complicated it's extremely hard to apply but it's not that complicated and so we'll leave the end of this to you toby you kind of finish us out by your few questions thank you brett yeah paul thanks for sharing so much and we normally close out with some rapid fire questions for the tour guys <laughs> Uh, yeah. But I wanted to throw some unique ones to you since you are first. Oh, uh, boy. Hopefully our first of many. Four the fourth, so I'm like ready to go. Come on, Toby. I need to know All right. So, oh, boy. All right. <laughs> did Buddy, did Buddy Alexander have the 12 commandments of Gator Golf when you were there? <laughs> <laughs> of course he did. I don't remember any of them now. But like, Toby, give them to me. I know you still remember them. Remember, okay. that was, I was back in my three conversion days, buddy. You were already walking with the Lord. I was walking with Keystone Light because it was the cheapest beer we could find. So <laughs> Keystone <go on>. Light. <laughs> give it to me, buddy. Hey, Keystone Light, two ninety nine, twelve 12 back in college. So that was a gold mine. All right, go ahead. What do you got, buddy? Man, I was going to ask you what the most uh, – the one you did remember. So you don't remember any of them. I, I but... thought – no, I do because – Okay, so give me one. I that... still believe I still use it to this day. Okay, I tend the flag out or inside outside 30 feet. 30 feet. I still yep. don't. I try to talk my guys into doing it, and they, they think I'm just I, I just want to get Buddy in his heyday when he was angry at the world to tell you, I don't care if you want to do it, you're gonna do it. If I find out you don't do it, you're not playing next week. I don't care if you win by five. Okay, all right. And then it was embarrassing when you play, you're playing with Oklahoma State. You got a 33-footer, and you see Buddy over on the hill, and you're like, hey, Alan, can you attend the flag? He's looking it. like it's an yeah. uphill putt. We have white rounders around it. You can definitely see the hole. Can you just hold it for me and pull it out as soon as I make contact? So, You know, I do remember looking around to seeing, okay, I don't see him oh. anywhere. So, yeah, oh, yes. you pull that. But sure enough, oh, he always he saw oh. everything. I, I don't even right, remember so, one of the 12 commandments or one, but another one that I, I don't think this was one of the 12, but he got mad at me one term because I took a ball out of play. This is back in the Balada days where the hairs would stand up when you wedged it. And I, it hadn't made a bogey yet. He goes, why would you ever do that? And so my first event working for Weber, he birdies eight, eagles nine, birdies 10. First event together, 2011. We get 11. He goes, hey, can I have a new ball? I laughed. I go, that's pretty good, buddy. Yeah, I want a new ball, too. He's like, no, I, I need a new ball. I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, this ball, it's got a scuff mark on it from the wedge. I was like, I don't care what it has on it. We just went 400 <laughs> in the last three. And he, go, he laughed. He goes, I need a new ball. And I'm like, okay, well, I guess that's done. So <laughs> there we go. So wow. good. All yeah. right. Give me your – you've got a tee off with five – PGA Tour caddies in a college golf event. Who are your <laughs> other four guys? Ooh, what a what a hard and great. Now let me. So I'm playing like I'm trying to win. Trying to so win. My four, not not win. just so, say, hey, what's going to be the most enjoyable yeah, three day okay. trip? Right. So, so you're, you're trying to win the winning. tournament. Yeah. Yeah. So you, it's all talent level. Yep. So I'm going to go with, um, 
I'm going to go with Brett Waldman. Still, he's 50 years old, and he's still shooting in the low 60s. Um, I think he might even get a little senior tour track coming up. I'm going to go with Waldman. I'm going to go with Travis Perkins. I'm going to go with um, Alex Gogert, who just Monday qualified for Minnesota um, mm -hmm. recently. Pretty good story. Flew all night, didn't sleep Monday qualified, um, and got paired with his boss. Yep. Uh, and, and then his brother caddied for him. So that one was pretty good. And then my last guy, man, if the boys hear this, they're going to be mad at me uh, for, for some of these answers. The last one I'm going to go with is going to be – I got to do the drum roll. Man, I want to make sure I get this right. I'm going to go with J.J. Yakovic, who caddies for Colin Morikawa. That would be my group. Okay. Yeah, that was a little motivation as we can, you know, post this I'm on fired Instagram. Up right now, yes. And that yeah, can create be... some conversations. Yes, for sure. Okay. All right. La last question. Um, you got five minutes with a freshman college golfer. From a golf perspective, what mm. do you want to tell him in those five minutes? Yeah. So the first thing I think every thing you have to decide is what do I want out of this game? Mm. If I want to be a professional golfer, there's an answer. And that answer is you got to figure out the why and you have to go after the why. And I would say, if you don't want to you know, play professional golf, I would say, Hey, enjoy your time. Like work hard, obviously get your work done, but enjoy your time. Enjoy these relationships, like fully dive into it because it's the greatest time of your life. It's still for me, the greatest experiences I ever had. And so go back to the guy that wants to play professional golf. It's the why. Rocco Mediate said this way back when I was in junior college. He did a, um, a, uh, an outing. He just said, the guys that make it on tour, they know why. The guys that don't, don't. And what that means by it's kind of what I talked earlier about VJ and how we set and formed a process. And we came up with seven areas of golf that we had to look at. And, again, it was putting, chipping, wedging, iron play, driving, and then your mind and your body. And so you look at those seven things and you go, okay, Am I really good at these seven things? If I'm not good, why am I not good at that? And you find people that can help you in that quest. It could be, uh, all right, well, I don't take good care of my body. All right, how do you do that? I need to eat healthier. I need to get in the gym and do gym-specific things. All right, wham, that one's gone. The next one is going to be, okay, my mind. Do I do breathing techniques? Have I worked on my pre-shot routine? Okay, no. All right, let's go work on that. You know, putting. Do I understand if I'm a great putter, why are you a great putter? Because we've seen plenty of great putters that end up losing their putting because they don't know why they're great putters. Um, same thing with short game, iron play. You just have to know why you're good and why you struggle. And if you know those answers and you have somebody wise to walk with, so I would say somebody wise that's not always golf-related, um, and then have someone wise who, as a coach, I don't like teachers, I like coaches that can do more than just talk about the mechanics. And so that would be what I want to scream from the rooftops would be find the why on those big seven things, push forward on those. I'm talking to with a couple of tour players right now that are trying to just kind of improve. And those are the seven things we're working on even now. Paul, that's absolute gold. Uh, thanks for sharing so much of your golf knowledge, uh, but more importantly, importantly, just sharing some of your stories um, of life. Um, I know but, we're all grateful for the gospel and it's just, yeah. it's fun to see how it's affected all of us. Um, going back to, you know, gosh, when I was 15 and we first met lots changed yes. since then. 15. Um, 
Well, you haven't changed, Ryan Seacrest. 22 years ago. <laughs> no, and my, Toby was already. My seven hour carry <laughs> distance is still the same. But. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. My last little part is like when, when everything went down, like again, I was at the height of my job, but I just saw your little trophy back there. Is that a club championship? What is that? What is that plate back there behind you? Right behind this one? the dad. Yeah, what is that? USGA four ball. Okay, there you go. With Jace Barber. Be proud of. I just. <laughs> You know, it's amazing how I still – and for anybody that's never gone back, go back and watch Tom Brady in the interview, whatever it was, 2020, mm-hmm. after his fourth Super Bowl, and he's talking about how there's something more out there. I've won four Super Bowls. I'm married yeah. to a supermodel. I have all the money in the world, the greatest of all time. And she goes, you know, what are you thinking? He goes, I'm thinking, is this all there is? Because nothing yeah. will fulfill you. And if you're looking for that filling, in my little job that I have, I reached the top and it was the most unfulfilling time in my life. And we know that only one thing can permanently positively. And he promises that he'll do it. And that's Jesus. He promises that he will deliver you from those. And the question everybody needs to ask, no matter what you believe is who is Jesus and what am I going to do with him? And I Mm -hmm. promise to give your life to him. He will absolutely hold true and deliver on every promise that he has. Mm. That's good. Yep. Thank you, boys. Love you guys. Love you, buddy. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Paul. See you, Thanks, boys. Brad. Thank you. Thank you, guys. See y'all. Thanks for taking the time to listen to the Golf Life Faith Podcast. Whether you're a college golfer, a coach, or you just love golf, we'd love to hear from you. If you have any questions, please email us at podcast at collegegolffellowship.com. Also, check us out on Instagram at collegegolffellowship and on Twitter at CGF Tweet. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast and be on the lookout for the next episode next month. Cheers.